It's Thursday, May 18th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, Joe Biden landed in Tokyo overnight, where the White House says that he is there to temper the global power of China, especially when it comes to the supply chain for renewable energy. But that effort to build in America suffered a setback recently when a cobalt mine in Idaho shut down. I've got those details coming up. Second, there is some growing unrest in the African country of Guinea, and that may mean higher prices for things like planes and electric vehicles. I'll tell you about that connection shortly. Third, America's governors are taking on the communists in China. I'll tell you about which ones with the latest out of Montana. Fourth, I am going to break one of my own rules this morning. I'm going to share with you some news about the transgender debate. We are going to talk about facts and polling that come on the heels of Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who yesterday banned certain experimental treatments and surgeries on children. Later, we close out the podcast with a thought experiment, but it is not one of mine. Caleb in Pennsylvania had one for me about the FBI. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Joe Biden has landed in Tokyo, folks. He is set to spend the next three days or so mingling with leaders of a group called the Quad, which is made up of the presidents and prime ministers of India, Japan, Australia, and of course, the United States. So as I mentioned yesterday, the purpose of Mr. Biden's trip and this group more generally is how to best focus their efforts on countering the ever aggressive communists in Beijing. Well, in the run-up to this conference, the White House Energy Czar for Renewables, a man named John Podesta, said that the White House was doing great work to create a U.S.-based supply chain for the renewable industry, and that would break the stranglehold that China currently enjoys. In fact, Mr. Podesta said that the Biden administration has done especially great work in the field of domestic mining, and he held up the example of America's only cobalt mine that is in the state of Idaho. But before I tell you more about that, let me actually refresh our memories on this mineral, right? Cobalt is very critical for many battery chemistries that help power electric vehicles and those utility-scale batteries to make solar and wind projects just viable. Now, unfortunately, most of the world's cobalt is mined in the African country of the Congo, around 70% or so. And as listeners will recall, many of the miners in that country are children, No more than six years of age in some cases. Well, then once the cobalt is out of the ground, it's mostly taken to China to be refined and then put into batteries. So having a proper cobalt mine in the United States would start to address those, well, frankly, terrible issues. And that is what Mr. Podesta at the White House was promoting Wednesday of last week as Mr. Biden was preparing for this tough on China conference this week. Well, there is just one problem with Mr. Podesta's statement. The, the, uh, the mine in Idaho, it's uh, actually closed. It closed back in March before it ever got started. So here's what happened, as reported by Energy and Environment News. So construction was moving ahead as scheduled in February of this year. That's according to Bryce Crocker, who is the CEO of the mine's developer, Jervos Mining. Right? But then three things happened. First, the country of the Congo and other cobalt miners like Indonesia ramped up production. 
right? That led to an oversupply of cobalt and a softening of prices. Second, those countries were able to do that, ramp up production, because they didn't have to follow the same kinds of strict environmental laws that the Idaho mine has to. And that means that it's more expensive to operate that mine in Idaho as compared to the, well, the cheap foreign competitors. Finally, the CEO said that Beijing is heavily subsidizing both the mining operations in the Congo and the refining of cobalt back in China, whereas the Idaho mine is not supported by any government. And so the Idaho mine had to stop construction because of those market conditions. Now, the CEO did say that he would restart operations, but only if the price of cobalt goes substantially higher and he's going to need some financial support from the U.S. government, too, so he can keep up with his Chinese competitors. Well, to that end, the U.S. Department of Defense is considering some support to him and his mind around, uh, well, 15 million bucks. But that is still in the works, which, well, I suppose is a little bit odd because the U.S. military has repeatedly said that American mined cobalt is vital for its jet turbines, drones, missiles, and other critical military hardware. All right, so folks, that is the latest on this effort by the Biden administration to create a domestic supply chain for renewables. Unfortunately, it's not good news, is it? Let me now pivot uh, to my analysis and opinion. So first of all, I think it's pretty alarming that the White House energy czar on this renewable revolution would be so wildly off about the progress related to a very key mineral. With all due respect, it's his job to know about this stuff, like a mine shutting down operations, and try, frankly, to prevent it from happening in the first place. But here we are. And by that, I mean we are, as always, dependent on foreign countries for this dirty green energy supply. And that seems bad to me, right? We were dependent on Middle Eastern oil for decades, and it cost us trillions of dollars in wars and frankly, far too many dead and maimed U.S. service members. And that's what I see us marching down. That's exact same road. But as ever, I'm going to leave it up to you to ultimately decide if this not-so-green stuff is ultimately worth the trouble. All right, with that, let's move on to our second brief this morning. We've got a developing story out of the western African country of Guinea, where the military junta that rules there is deploying troops to the streets. And that might end up raising aluminum prices, which would be very bad news for industries like airlines and automobiles, which use that stuff for electric vehicles in particular. So let's talk about what we know about what's going on in Western Africa, as reported by the French media outlet AFP. And for this one, you might want to grab a map of Africa, either on your phone or in your computer or envision it in your mind. And if you look at the Gulf of Guinea on the Atlantic coast, you are going to see countries like Ghana and Ivory Coast, Liberia, and Sierra Leone. Now, you are also going to see the country of Guinea, which is not to be confused with its neighbor, Guinea-Bissau. No, <laughs> we're looking for the country with the capital of Conakry. Now, I try to find something nice to say about all countries when we discuss them, but poor Guinea, it's just, it's kind of a dump. But I'll tell you, it's not all Guinea's fault, right? When they got independence from the French government back in 1958, French forces and their personnel were pretty angry about having to leave their colony. So they took everything they could. And by that, I mean everything. They actually unscrewed light bulbs, right? They, they burned medicines rather than leave anything behind for the Ghanaians. 
Well, from that point in 1958 and onward, Guinea bounced from sort of one dictator to the next and from communism to capitalism. But even when they had capitalism, the dictator still owned and profited from everything. And Guinea actually has a lot to profit from. They've got gold and diamonds, iron ore, and most especially, bauxite. In fact, Guinea has the world's greatest reserves of bauxite and is one of the most critical global exporters of this stuff. And that's a big deal because from bauxite, we get aluminum after, of course, some refining and uh, some smelting. In other words, this small African country, well, it carries a pretty big punch globally. And if things go bad there, we feel the pain here. And that takes us to the latest news out of the capital city of Conakry. The ruling military junta announced yesterday that it had ordered its troops into the streets due to likely protests by the opposition, which has demanded that the military step aside and allow elections. Right? You see, the military took over that country back in 2021. They got power in a coup against then-President Alpha Conde. By the way, when that happened, aluminum prices jumped 10% in one day. So we'll see what transpires over the next few days with this latest troop deployment in Conakry. If violence breaks out, we'll probably see some aluminum prices spike again. And that'll put a squeeze on all sorts of industries in the United States to include the electric vehicle industry, as I mentioned earlier. And actually, one thing on that. Because of the anticipated demand for electric vehicles, Guinea is planning on tearing up 200,000 acres of farmland and 1.1 million acres of natural habitat to further develop its bauxite mines, right? In other words, we're destroying small farmers and nature so that consumers can, well, go green, whatever that means. Kind of underlines the absurdity, well, for me anyway. Ah, anyway, that's opinion. Let's get back to this. Let's all keep our eyes on Guinea this week, folks, and watch for those prices for aluminum. And, uh, well, hope for the best. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. So enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners. And then, in about a minute or two, we'll be right back. Friends, I'm excited to tell you about Arc Seed Kits, like Noah's Ark. And here's why I'm excited. On The Right Report, we talk a lot about two things. We talk about your pocketbook and how to save you some money. We also talk about preparing for global events, like how we could find ourselves at war in Asia. Well, with ARC Seed Kits, you can address both of those concerns at once. The all-in-one seed kit helps you grow your own food for life. It has over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables, sprouting from 50,000 heirloom seeds. And let me tell you why that is so important. Heirloom seeds last year after year. Each crop helps you grow the next. But that's not true of 95% of most seeds that you buy. Those last only one year. That's why heirloom seeds from ARC Seed Kits are so great. It's a lifetime of food security. So go to arcseedkits.com. Again, that's ARC like Noah's ARC. And buy your heirloom seeds today. And if you do, make sure you use promo code RIGHT, like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T. And that'll get you 10% off your order. So go to arcseedkits.com, promo code right, and invest in good food and a bigger wallet for life. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning, and let's head on back to the American homeland for these next briefs. 
First, we've got news out of three American states where governors there are adopting some pretty strong language and even stronger legislation against the communists in Beijing and their companies. So let's start with the state of Virginia, where Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin declared last week that, quote, we need an American revolution in order to no longer depend on Chinese manufacturing. We need to bring semiconductors and pharmaceuticals and automotive supply chains back here to the United States, end quote. Well, Governor Yonkin has previously backed up that rhetoric with actions, specifically with his rejection last January of Ford Motor Company planning to build a battery plant in his state. And he rejected that because Ford wanted to partner with the Chinese company Cattle, or C-A-T-L. And rejecting that, folks, was, well, a pretty big deal. It would have been a $3.5 billion plant with upwards of 2,500 jobs. And he said no on principle. Unfortunately, the Democrat governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, she had no problem with this partnering with China. She actually encouraged that battery plant to open up in her state. And, well, no surprise, they did. It'll open up at some point in the year 2026. Meanwhile, in the state of Florida, the governor there, Republican Ron DeSantis, signed a number of anti-communist China bills last week. One banned Chinese citizens from owning land in the state of Florida. Another one prohibited Florida universities and colleges from accepting money or donations from the Chinese government. Lastly, it bans the use of the app TikTok on Florida government devices and networks. All right, moving on to the third state, the state of Montana. Republican Governor Greg Gianforte just made his state the first in the union to ban TikTok for all people in his state, not just on government-issued devices. Right, so how it's going to work is that users themselves won't be targeted, but the apps and those app stores that sell it, well, they can be sued for every download. Now, for what it's worth, there are a few Democrat-led states taking on the TikTok folks, too. The governor of Kansas issued a declaration banning the app. Louisiana did, too, although that was actually done by the Republican Secretary of State rather than the Democrat governor. So all in all, the Associated Press reported that 14 states... Well, they have now all banned TikTok, but with these last two states, that number is up to 16 with these latest moves again out of Florida and Montana. All right, that takes us to our last brief of the morning. And let's focus on the state of Florida for this one. Governor Ron DeSantis announced yesterday that he has signed a bill into law regarding the issues around Floridians who believe themselves to be transgender. So the law bans the injection of hormones into children and prevents sex change operations on kids, too. So his argument is that minors are unable to consent to these treatments as they don't fully understand the magnitude of forever altering their bodies with experimental surgeries or treatments. Now, as listeners know, I normally shy away from social issues like this. I try to stay in my lane, leave this stuff up to well, other podcasts and hosts. But I have had a fair number of you all reach out and ask me about my thoughts. So I thought that I would, well, break my own rule for this one time and provide a response. And I do so by starting with a poll of not what I think, but rather what your fellow Americans think. So here's that poll as provided by the Washington Post about two weeks ago. First, a strong majority of Americans, 57%, believe that whatever gender you're born with, that's that. You can't change it, even if a doctor says that you can. 
Meanwhile, even stronger majorities believe that only biological women or girls should be able to compete in women or girls sports. 62 to 66% of Americans believe that. Third, nearly 70% of Americans felt that experimental hormone injections should be banned in children, most especially ages 10 to 14. So finally, there's been some debate about whether teachers should be able to discuss sort of trans identities and ideologies in school. Well, according to this poll, more than 70% said no, teachers should not be able to do that, especially if the child is in elementary school. By the way, that flips to 64% of folks in support of discussing trans-related stuff if the student is in high school. All right, so that's the poll, and I hope it's helpful as you frame your own views on this. But I would also like to add one more thing, and this one is, well, it's a bit personal. So a lot of you know that autism is an issue that is very important to me, and protecting autistic kids especially so. And what's really incredible is that there is a strong connection between autism and people believing that they are transgendered. So here's that data. According to the outlet National Public Radio, or NPR, people who identify as transgender are six times more likely to have autism. And that is well known within the medical community, especially amongst the doctors and psychologists who have patients who claim that they're transgender. As but one example, the Post-Millennial reported last week, the two leading trans psychologists, one named Dr. Diane Aronsaf and the other is named Dan Karasik, well, they said that autistic kids make up, quote, an astonishing percentage, end quote, of their trans patients. In fact, Mr. Karasik said, quote, anyone who is doing gender work sees a lot of people with autism spectrum disorder more than expected for reasons we don't know. Well, you might think that there would be some curiosity as to why this is, or perhaps some caution, because as listeners probably know, autistic folks tend to fixate and uh, obsess about things. So an obsession or fixation about gender might not be, well, about trans at all. Rather, it's a symptom of their underlying condition. But increasingly, these doctors are not being cautious about autistic kids who might just be obsessing with gender. In fact, Dr. Diane Aronsaf says that in her practice, she's even willing to help nonverbal autistic kids to transition to the opposite gender, right? That includes giving these nonverbal kiddos hormone injections or having their private parts surgically removed. So here's what she said to justify that, quote, we can't just say as psychologists or doctors, well, until you can be verbal and answer these questions as we have on this assessment packet, we can't clear you for surgery or hormones. That is really discriminatory, end quote. All right, well, that begs the question, how exactly does Dr. Aaron Saff determine if a nonverbal autistic child is actually transgender? Well, she said that she looks at their drawings, or she goes with a parent's intuition. Now, this same doctor also argues that when young girls pull berets out of their hair, that can be a sign that they want to be a boy. So folks, that is what's guiding trans medicine these days, at least for folks who call it medicine. And that is what has driven leaders like Governor Ron DeSantis and his legislature to pass laws banning it. All right, those are the facts and data this morning. And I uh, would like to press my luck 
just a little bit more on this and offer you my opinion and analysis. And I'm going to be just a bit blunt here. We should not be experimenting on disabled children. And that should be obvious. But that's what's happening, right? To include on kids who don't have the physical ability to speak for themselves. They are nonverbal disabled children. And yet, doctors and psychologists are moving forward to the point of removing their body parts. And as someone who loves and supports families with autistic kids, I'm really struggling to be calm and measured on this. I'm also struggling to understand how we got to this point. Perhaps it's because most of us would prefer that we just let people live as they would like, even if we don't agree with their lifestyle. And that's understandable, right? even laudable. Right? The Constitution says that we should all have the right to, well, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So just live and let live. Right? That sounds good. But that's not what's happening here. Surgically removing otherwise healthy body parts from disabled kids who can't consent because in some cases they're unable to actually speak, that's obviously too far. And it should be obvious. Because, folks, it conjures up some of the most horrific medical experimentation in history. So I'll let you decide whether you support this effort in Florida or other states to stop this kind of medicine, certainly in children with autism or otherwise. But in the meantime, folks, I hope that this brief was helpful and fair. As always, I will tell you that I'm very reluctant to dive into the culture wars because we have so many other things to talk about. But because I know that this is an issue that is profoundly impacting the lives of autistic kids, kids that I care about, it's pretty tough for me to walk away from this issue. So if I do bring this up again, I promise that I will bring this same approach of data and factor of an analysis for you. And ultimately folks, I understand that like all social issues, Reasonable people can disagree. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go, so enjoy this next break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. I got an email from Caleb in Franklin, Pennsylvania. He enjoyed the brief that I gave you all on Tuesday about the Durham Report. And how it proved, frankly, corruption and lawlessness within the U.S. Department of Justice and FBI. And Caleb asked me this question. Hey, Brian, I have a thought experiment for you. What if you went to the door to answer a knock and standing in front of you were two FBI agents wanting to speak with you about something? What would you do? Hmm, Caleb loved that thought experiment. All right, so let me say two things. First, I have friends who are special agents in the FBI, and I love them immensely for what they do. All right, they are the good guys doing the good work for the country. But that's not enough. What the Durham report showed us is that from top to bottom, our federal law enforcement agencies are rotten to the core. From their leadership to the culture to the the mainline workers, that place is rotten. It hasn't changed, and it's not going to change not without a new president and a removal of the Department of Justice's power, money, and people, FBI too. Which takes me to your thought experiment, Caleb. 
I would tell those FBI agents to kindly get off my property immediately and not come back without a warrant. And then I would probably use some language that I'm not going to this morning because we have some little ears listening. Because, Caleb, the horrible truth is that none of us can trust the FBI right now. And that's a horrible thing to have to acknowledge, right? Because we are under attack by the Chinese government, by Mexican cartels, and countless other threats. We need a strong FBI to help defend us. But that strength comes from them embracing and implementing the rule of law without fear or favor. And they're not doing that. Or as special counsel Durham said, they have shown themselves to be unable to observe, quote, strict fidelity to the law, end quote. In other words, they're lawless and corrupt. So Caleb, no, I will not be assisting a corrupt and lawless FBI, no matter the issue, no matter if it's small or big. And if I can be candid with you, I would suggest that you not help them either. Not if you value your freedom. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. To the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.